you. Thank you, praise team. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and turn to the book of Colossians chapter 3. We're going to pick up there where we left off. Colossians 3, we'll be focusing in on verses 16 and 17, but we're going to pick back up at verse 12. And before we do that, I just want us to take a brief moment here in the service and and spend some time in prayer. Um, As I visited last night on the phone with Pastor Jeff, um, you know, he has expressed to me on multiple occasions that he has a burden for this church to be a praying people. Um, And we must. You know, God, God always moves after his people have been seeking him in prayer. And, um, it's also become evident to me that as I talked with him on the phone, the, the chemotherapy that he started last week is really starting to wear him down. And, um, and he acknowledged that. And, um, you know, he, he's got great focus. He loves the Lord dearly, as you all know. He loves you all dearly. Um, but I think this morning we need to take time and just pray for him as a church family. So I just want to give a few moments And that's going to be our focal point, is to ask God to be gracious and merciful, beg Him for healing if He so desires, but just to comfort and strengthen this family. So I'm going to give you just a few moments of silence. If you just bow your head right where you are, I would ask that you pray right there, and then after a few moments, I'll pray for us. Father God, you are so good to us. We thank you and praise you for you are the God of all authority. You are sovereign in all things and God, you you love us in spite of who we are. And Father, this morning we acknowledge that we don't often come before you in times of lengthened prayer as we should. God, we... We don't sit still because in our culture, God, the silence can be deafening to us and we don't even know what to do. Father, help us learn to sit in silence and to meditate on your word, to listen to your spirit, and God, to bring our petitions and requests before you, knowing you're the only one who can answer And Father, this morning, we don't come to you with eloquent words. We don't come to you with the right things to say on behalf of our brother, uh, Jeff, and 
and his precious wife, Karen. God, we, we come to you as servants that are totally dependent on you, recognizing that you are the God who answers and you are our only hope. And Father, we thank you that through Jesus Christ we have hope of eternity beyond these bodies. And Father, right now we lift Pastor Jeff up to you. We ask God that you would bring healing to his body. God, we know you're the only one who can. God, we ask that you use treatments. But God, in all things, we, we pray that we are all surrendered to your will and everything. And God, if one of us in this room, God, needs to be prepared to, to die today for your glory's sake, that we're willing to do so. So Father, help us to live and surrender to your will, but God, making our requests known to you and knowing that you will align our hearts with yours. Father, I pray for Karen and, and Sarah and the family. and the, uh, God, I, I just ask that you would just watch over them and give them a comfort and a peace and a strength. God, I do ask that you would help this, this church body to become a praying people, that you would help me to become uh, more of a, a, a man of prayer. That God, we would just realize how dependent we are upon you for every breath. God, you own the air in our lungs. You own the blood in our veins. And God, you control every heartbeat that we have. God, may we live our lives for your glory's sake and none other. God, may you teach us according to your word this morning. God, may we be sensitive to all that you have to say. And God, may we be not just hearers of the word, but doers. Obedient in all things. God, help us to love one another well. I, I thank you for a church that loves their pastor and staff well. I pray that you continue to help them to do that with much grace and I pray that you just give this church all that it needs for your glory's sake. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3, we'll pick up there. And we'll look back at verse 12 in a moment. We've been talking about getting rid of this old nature. As we look out for the sins that, that Paul listed here in the third chapter of the book of Colossians, we need to consider those sinful desires are grave clothes, if you will. Stuff that, that's dead and gone in the grave with Christ. And we must put on our grace clothes, those things that look like Christ. God is molding you into the image of Christ. That's the word sanctification we see in the Scripture. I don't know if you've ever asked God, hey God, if you'll just show me your will, I'll do it. There is a passage of Scripture, and I'm drawing a blank where it is. You can Google it later or search it. This is the will of God, your sanctification. God, God's will for you is to grow you like Christ. If you know Christ, He wants you to look like Him. This text today continues to unravel and, and to explain to us that process. What does it look like? I don't know how many of you clean your house every spring and fall, um, I remember years ago, uh, back when we were newlyweds, and even up until the time our kids were still pretty young, 
uh, Michelle, she likes to clean and she's good at it. And she likes to rearrange the furniture every now and then so it doesn't get boring, I guess you'd say. And so the, the joke between the boys and I used to be, okay, uh, mom's ready to rearrange the house around the furniture. And so we would talk a little bit about that. I mean, and you would just clean stuff. And, you know, if you've got kids, when you rearrange the furniture, you don't know what you're going to find under there, right? A French fry. You might find an old potato chip or a cookie or a carrot they're trying to hide because they don't want to eat it. Um, you know, but after moving the furniture, you often find there's dust under there, right? And then you, what do you do? You, after you've moved, you know, say you move the couch, and you, you get the vacuum and you clean that area real good before you do what? Put another piece of furniture or something there, right? Why do we do that? Because we, we want things to be cleaned up. Well, that takes work, does it not? Those of you who've rearranged a house, it takes a lot of effort to do those things. It, it's much like this effort that we need to make with the house cleaning of the heart. It takes work. It takes effort. We, we, we need to understand that. We have talked about taking off the old sinful nature, and we began discuss on, discussing on how to put on this new self that we are in the image of Christ. Next, we need to, to put their things in their right place, which is pleasing to God. And in doing so, we have both a peace with God and a thankful heart. That's the mirror that gives us the reflection of, are, are we doing well in this or not? peace with God and thankfulness. So as we read this passage of Scripture, I hope you'll listen closely as to what's going on here. So if you would stand to your feet, let's look at Colossians 3, 12 through 17 yet again. It says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You may be seated. This passage is telling us we need to clothe ourselves in the image of Christ. Paul is addressing here Christians are to be set apart. We are called to be holy. That's what the word means, is set apart. And last week we talked about the inner grace clothes of the heart. We started in verse 12 and 13, and he, he gives a long list there. And we went through what the definition of each one of those are. A heart of compassion. Caring about other people. Kindness. Humility and gentleness and patience. And bearing with one another. That means putting up with other people. And forgiveness. 
Then the second one we said was the outer grace close of the heart was the, the most important aspect is love. Love is the thing that binds all of those other attributes together. And we said in 1 Corinthians 13, if you don't have love, you're a sounding gong and a clanging cymbal. You must have love that binds all of these other things together. Otherwise, you just look like a politician, right? This is doing the right things to be seen. And then we, we concluded with the look in the mirror of peace and thankfulness in verse 15, and we said thank, that peace acts like an umpire of the heart, right? An umpire calls it like it is. It, it doesn't overexert authority, but the peace that God gives you when you've served Him with pure motives and a thankful heart is what results, and it shows that you're walking in accordance to His ways. Today, we're going to talk about the clothing of the mind, the clothing of the mind, which is knowledge and instruction, Knowledge and instruction. Listen to verse 16 as I read it again. And it says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There are three parts of that verse I want us to notice today. The first one is clothing of the mind requires God's word in us. God's word in us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What does that mean? Well, the word of Christ refers to the teachings of Christ in Scripture. We are to learn and memorize what God says. Old Testament, New Testament, all of it, right? L lest you think that Jesus only spoke in the New Testament and you forget that Jesus said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, right? He didn't do away with the Old Testament law, although the ceremonial law is gone, but the moral law still stands. It just doesn't stand over us to crush us now. It stands within us to show and reflect the character of God and who He really is. So this Word of Christ needs to dwell in us richly. You know, when I was growing up, I was blessed to have godly parents. I was blessed to have godly grandparents. Um, my, my dad taught children's worship every week that I can remember. There was a period of time he didn't, and he was miserable. He tried to go teach young marriage, and he just couldn't do it. He had to go back to the kids. And so he taught the kids, and then my granddad had a special relationship with kids. One of my granddads did, and you know, when he was 86, I believe it was, he was still teaching sixth grade boys in church, and if you've ever taught sixth grade boys, it doesn't matter what age you are, that takes a special calling, right? And so, but my, one thing you've got to understand, my granddad was very, very shy man. He couldn't even, he could not stand up here. My, my, he, when he had to pray on certain Sundays, my, my grandmother had to give him a, a pill so he could get up here and, and actually function just to pray in front of a congregation. But he could deal with smaller groups, but that didn't come easily. He was shy. He was afraid. What did he do? I remember when I was real little, he always had in this pocket right here, he, he'd pull out something and he'd be looking at us like, Grant, what are you doing? He's like, I'm memorizing some scripture. Why? Because I need it to help me learn to be more like Jesus. And he grew more like Christ every day that I ever knew him. That's what it's talking about here. Someone who's normally shy grows into a bold witness. Why? Because the power of the Scripture of God 
working in you through the Spirit of God transforms a life into something that God calls you to be. That's why, you know, and if you come from 4 to 5.30, one of the first passages of scriptures, the kids starts memorizing, the, the children start memorizing is Psalm 119.11. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The more word of God you hide in your heart, the less sin you're going to be wanting to do. Let's say it that way. Or you should, if you're a Christ follower. And then 2 Timothy 2.15, another verse, and, and we said this is the, the Awana key verse, actually. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who accurately handles the word of truth. What does that mean? That means if you want to grow in Christ and to be like Christ, clothing of the mind requires God's word within why? Because otherwise, when you come to a Bible study or something and, and somebody asks a question about how, do you, how should you respond in this or that situation, people's hands go up and say, I think we ought to do this, or I feel we ought to do that, to which my response is, it doesn't matter what you think or what you feel, it only matters what God says. That's how we must respond. And if God's Word says, you forgive someone who's offended you, you better forgive them. If God's Word says that you must love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you and bless them and not curse, that's what you need to do. But I feel like I want to get back at them. You see how important it is to clothe the mind? Our culture right now is in such a reactionary mode, they're responding to all sorts of things and they have no guidance. They have no guidance because they have no Christ within that's why as the church we must reflect the image of Christ and proclaim the gospel. And we must do it accurately. To do that accurately, we must study the Word of God. People often, often use Scripture though to fit their own desires. Have you ever seen that before? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What does that mean? I can win this event. I can run this race. I can do whatever I want. No, that's not what it means. Go read that passage in context and you find that Paul is in the midst of suffering. Paul is in, in an immense level of suffering and, and he's just downtrodden and he, he proclaims this verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength in the midst of suffering. That's the context. So hear this. Don't take a verse or two of Scripture and use it for your benefit and your glory. I know someone who did that when he was tempting Jesus out in the wilderness, and his name was Satan, right? And there's actually a, a, a pastor who quoted this, and he said this, Twist not Scripture, lest ye be like Satan. Whoa. Just because you have a verse doesn't mean you're right. Read, study, memorize in context. Understand, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, within the whole scope of what the Scripture teaches on a given subject. We are to saturate our hearts and our minds with the Word of God to seek to walk in obedience to Him. Then the Word of God is at home in our hearts. We should be thinking about it all the time. If you're like me, and, and I, I have to confess that some mornings are not as good as others in, 
in regard to my devotional time. Some mornings I, I'm just, I read through the passage. I go, okay, I read through that. Okay, I'm just going to pray a little bit, and then off I go. I have not let that sink in. Part of letting the Word of God dwell richly within you is meditating on it. And we are uncomfortable with meditation, folks. Me included. We need to let it soak in. And then, I think when, when, once you let the Word of God soak in, one of the things I've noticed, maybe you've noticed this too, how often have you studied the Word of God, you're like, Man, I have read Colossians chapter 3, I I don't know how many times before, but this time, this time, God is speaking something to me to apply in my life that's different than any time before. Any of you been there but me? Man, why is that? You see, as we study the Word of God, it changes the way we we think. And we were at... Our younger self was not ready for that particular application of the Word of God back then, but it is now. Take your Bible and turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. This is, this is another verse that you should know well. <clears throat> and I want you to look at verses 1 and 2. And this is about the Word of God and what it does for your life. I'm going to start with verse 1, and we'll read through verse 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. So we're presenting these bodies to God as spiritual worship. Why? He's fixing to to tell us how to do that in in a lost world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good good and acceptable and perfect. So here is the deal. We should have our mind transformed by the Word of God so that we even understand what is right and what is wrong. The more you purposefully apply the Word of God in your life, the more He will, re- will reveal to you about His ways. Full confession here. I don't think about death the way I once did because of the Word of God. I am now, as I age, looking at death as I'm going to get to see Christ. Not I'm going to miss out on all this stuff. Some of you are chuckling because you, you're there and you know your, your years are getting fewer and fewer, but all of us are. But when I was this age, I, it never entered my mind. Never entered my mind. So the first thing you need to note is the clothing of the mind requires God's Word in us. Secondly, the clothing of the mind requires God's wisdom in disciple-making. And in chapter 16, or verse 16 of chapter 3, Listen to the second thought, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. You are to, uh, to clothe your mind with God's wisdom in order to go and make disciples. You know, we talk about, hey, the command, the Great Commission is go therefore make disciples of all nations. And we think, let's go preach the gospel, get them saved and leave them alone. And, and we've failed as, at that for years. 
Well, we've succeeded in baptizing people, but we failed in the disciple-making, right? Because the following part of that verse is teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. But here Paul says, you need to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. That's part of discipleship-making. What is teaching after all? Teaching has to do with doctrine. Did you know that right doctrine unites people? You need to have the right view of God. You need to have the right view of Jesus Christ. You need to have the right view of the atoning sacrifice of Christ. And you need to understand the right response to that because you need to understand that sin has separated you from God. You must have that doctrine right. That doctrine unites. That's why we have small group studies. We unite under right teaching because God's Word teaches us that we are to make disciples according to His Word. We we learn it as we teach. If, If you've ever taught a class, oftentimes you find out the one teaching is doing as much or more learning than those hearing. Unfortunately, there are people who hear that are just, it's bouncing off this ear and going somewhere else. They have no intent of doing it. And that's why Jesus told the, the, the Jewish leaders, upon hearing, you do not hear, and upon seeing, you don't see. In other words, he, there's, there's nothing coming in that's settling in. They are not doers of the Word. They're just hearers only. And they're not really hearing the deep truth. But we learn from one another, do we not, as we grow in these small groups? And, and there are some small groups that are needed to grow here. There are more small groups that need to be formed here. It doesn't matter if you call it Sunday school, Bible study, whatever you want to call it, there needs to be more small groups to grow, especially in, in our younger generation. Why? Why is that important? That they might have the Word of God dwell in them richly, that they might discern right and wrong, that they might, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. And they might need older people involved with them in that. Instead of us forming separate groups so often, right? We need one another. And so we need God's wisdom in making disciples. So teaching has to do with doctrine, but admonishing, what does that have to do with? Admonishing has to do with duty. To do with duty. And that means training by the Word. So someone's teaching the Word of God. Hey, here's what you must do. And by encouragement or correction or instruction. How many of you have ever come to, to meet with the church body and said, man, I sure hope somebody corrects me today. I, that, that's not something we think about when we come here, but is it not something we should desire? Man, if somebody in this church sees me messing up as a pastor, please, I hope you come to me. Why? Why is that important to have that attitude? It's because we don't want to displease God. Every one of us should have that attitude. Oh God, please help the body of Christ teach me more of your word that they might admonish me to grow in you to look more like Jesus. I I told you I was blessed to grow up in a godly home and from the time I was young, I I remember having the fear of God in my life because of my dad, you know. 
you know, he, I, didn't, I did not want a spanking from dad. I got a bunch, especially on Sunday afternoons after church because I had a hard time sitting still. Dad's in the choir, mom's playing the piano, I'm by myself. And it, just saying. And I think that's why God called me to preach because I couldn't sit still out there like y'all are doing so well. And so I, I had this mentoring relationship. My mom did it a little differently. She was the very quiet, compassionate type and, and she would cry and I'd rather my dad beat me than my mom cry for me. Honestly. And so I, I grow up knowing the Lord and, and learning how to follow Him. And then I go off to college and my grandfather, my mom's my mom's father picked that up and continued. He started taking me out every Saturday to share Christ with people, to, to learn how to witness and share. And, and he, he challenged me. He, he would share God's Word with me and say, hey, here's what it says we need to do. And hey, here's your attitude. And he had such a tender way to talk with me. I would, I would listen. I, I, I don't know why. But he did. Because I knew he loved me. He loved me. Listen to, listen to what the Bible says about Scripture and how we are to, to embrace it. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. There is a purpose to the Word of God, and it is given to us. It is profitable that we be taught by it, that we be reproved by it, that we be corrected by it. In other words, I need to be taught the right thing to do, and it needs to come down on me when I'm doing the wrong thing, and then it needs to correct that wrong behavior into the right behavior. Why? To train me in righteousness, to train me in sanctification if you will, to look more like Jesus, that the man of God might be complete, equipped for what? Every good work. To all that God has called me to. We are commanded to share our understanding of Scripture with other believers, to help other believers practice, and to give godly counsel. You know, one of the things I find is, is church bodies tend to come together in these buildings that we've confused and we call the building the church, and it's not. The people of the church, and we come together with this group of people, and we want to hear the Word of God, but, but, but you know, I'm an independent man. I, I listen to God myself. If He wants to correct me, He can do so. Isn't it true? Even as a pastor, I, I'm subject to that temptation. But w when we come to God's house, and we should have believers, brothers and sisters in Christ that love us so much, just like our family, just like we love our children and we want to train them what the right thing is to do, we should be receiving that instruction from brothers and sisters in Christ like we're family. And we should go, thank you, thank you so much for helping me grow in this. Why? And it's not pleasant. Don't, don't get me wrong. It shouldn't be, oh, that, that feels so good. No, it may be uncomfortable. We need to love other people so much so that it might be uncomfortable when we come up and we put our arm around and we say, you know, I love you too much to not address this issue in your life. And on the receiving side of that, when somebody comes and puts their arm around us and they say, I love you too much to not help you address this, we need to say, 
oh, thank you for caring for me because I just want to honor and glorify God. Hmm. Question. When teaching and admonishing people with wisdom, are they more likely to find that you're speaking in grace and truth or that you're speaking unwisely with force and a lack of love? Be careful with that. Nextly, in verse 16, we see clothing of the mind is done how? This is how it's done. With psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Here's the third thought. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We should be singing. We did that earlier, right? It's wonderful to sing and to praise God. I love that y'all respond with applause to, to the Lord. You know, what are, what are psalms anyway? Well, we've got a book labeled that, right? These are, these are inspired worships. Worship songs or psalms to God by the various psalmists. They describe the inspired words of God found in the book after their name, which were sung as a part of Israel's worship to God. Psalm 103 has this in it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Have you heard a song like that before? That is called a spirit, uh, singing a psalm. That's singing a psalm. That is singing the Word of God. It is okay to have a song that is nothing but Scripture that you sing. Promotes Scripture memory. Promotes worship. It hides the Word of God in your heart. We should be doing those things. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. You remember that? And all that is within me, bless His holy name. So, that's, that's an example of a psalm. Well, what are hymns? Hymns are songs of worship and praise addressed to God the Father or to Jesus Himself. One that comes to my mind is usually the one that's the beginning of most hymn books, especially the Baptist hymnal, is holy, holy, holy. Right? You're singing about God. Who is He? He's holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And I promise you, just because you want to call it a hymn doesn't mean it's accurate. And I'll get to that in a moment. But these hymns, that, that we, they're, they're not the same as psalms because they're not directly inspired than the inspired Word of God, but they may be inspired to bring worship to God and about God. It, it's a heart of gratitude that flows out of an awe for what God has done. So much like great is thy faithfulness that we sang this morning, right? We're singing great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. And then there's spiritual songs which, which refer to religious poetry describing the Christian experience. One of the most famous ones that we've had in our hymn for years is It Is Well With My Soul. And if you know the story of Horatio Spafford, who wrote that, that hymn, who was, was the one who had his wife and daughters traveling across the Atlantic Ocean. You remember that story? And, and the, there was a shipwreck, and the daughters drowned at sea, and his wife alone survived, and he got the, the notification. And so he goes to see his wife, and when the boat he was on comes to the exact spot or close to the spot to where 
his daughter's drowned at sea, he writes this song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, it's well with my soul. That's, that's what I would call a spiritual song. We sang another one this morning, 10,000 Reasons. That's a spiritual song. And using these various kinds of song, we, could, we should sing with grace and thanksgiving in our heart to the Lord God. As a Christian, we should use discernment, though, in those types of music that we use. Because we should be asking, does this music agree with Scripture? Did you know there are certain songs that don't get added to a the, the hymnal that, that is in front of you because it doesn't agree with Scripture. I would contend with you there are some songs in that hymnal that aren't entirely scriptural that we probably shouldn't be singing. I'll let you find them. The problem is, is we often grow affectionately attached to a, 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 a melody and some words and we don't even realize we're not singing truth. Be careful. Be careful. Now, this, this passage we're reading here in Colossians 3.16 is very similar to the verse in Ephesians 5.18 and 19. Listen to what it says. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Huh, that sounds pretty close, doesn't it? The difference, though, in Colossians 3.16 and this one is in the Ephesians passage, it says, be filled with the Spirit. But in verse 16 of Colossians 3, it says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, being filled with the Spirit and being filled with the Word of God are both required for living, joyful, useful, fruitful lives. You need them both. You can't say, well, which one's right? The answer is yes, they are right. Merge them, harmonize them. We will not be filled with the Spirit unless we truly know the Word of God. And the study of God's Word will not be effective unless we surrender to the control of the Holy Spirit. How much time do you spend studying the Word of God each day? Do you only study alone? Or do you study with a small group as a part of the church? How, how, can we, how can you expect to meditate on the Word of God and obey it and, and even sing it and live by it if you don't study the Word of God? You are subject to being deceived by any song that comes along on the radio. Right? So take a good look. <clears throat> Ask God to help you with the study of His Word and, and to, to sing with this grateful heart. The next thing we want to look at is in verse 17. And it's our last thought of the day. Looking in the mirror. So we're going back to this reflection yet again. Our clothing should reflect Christ's image. Look at verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's our goal. Reflecting Jesus. This is the rule to judge your conduct as a Christian. People today have a hard time discerning right and wrong. But if you'll commit yourself to the memory of Scripture, you'll find yourself 
saying less, I think or I feel, or the majority of the world thinks this, and you'll say, God says here. Is that not how Jesus responded to Satan? Is it not written? Did God not say? That's how he answered. And, you know, we used to have these little cute bracelets walking around, you know, the WWJD, you know, what would Jesus do? You've heard this almost to the, the point it's, it's so cliche, if you will, that we wore it out. Let me give you four questions that you need to ask yourself about what you're doing and whether you're reflecting the image of Christ. Number one, can I do this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I'm about to do? Can I put his name on it? Hey, I'm fixing to go to this location and do this activity, participate in this event. Can I stamp Jesus' name on that? Number two, will Jesus get the glory for what I'm about to do or say or post on Facebook or Instagram or whatever account you, you think of? It, will Jesus get the glory for this? Number three, could I expect God's blessing to rest on this activity? Could I expect God's blessing to rest on what I'm about to do or say? And number four, and this, this to me has always been one of the most convicting, would I want to be doing it when Jesus Christ returns? Would I want to be interrupted in what I'm doing when Christ returns? These questions should apply to the words we speak and the deeds we do. Obedience to this command brings joy to our life. It is a precious secret when the Christian learns to do everything as to the Lord for his glory. I hope you learn that secret. It's such a joy. Paul adds, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And if you've been saved by his grace, you're destined for heaven. Give thanks. Give thanks with a grateful heart, right? Last question I want to leave you with to ponder. Well, I've got several, but it's just the next question. How about that? Whose image do you reflect? These follow-up questions help us to determine that. Number one, have you taken time to hide God's Word in your heart? Will you commit to learn one verse a week or even one a month? I, I assure you, if you'll come, you just volunteer to help in Awana. I, I don't care if they've got too many workers. You act like you're a volunteer, and you start learning the Scripture with the kids. If you listen to five kids say the same verse, one right after the other, guess what happens to you? You're going to remember at least part of it. And if you do it next week, and they say the same verse again, you're going to remember that. Commit to learn at least one verse a week. See what God does with that. When you counsel other people, be it children, family members, friends, church, other church members, about life's problems. Are you using godly wisdom in that disciple-making, or are you just throwing out your opinion based on your experiences? Be careful with that one. And then what psalms and hymns and spiritual songs overflow out of your heart? I mean, what, what songs are you singing through the week when you're in your car? Is there worship going on there? Is there worship going on in the home? 
Do you find yourself singing or reciting Scripture that encourages you or others around you? Does your life reflect the image of Christ? Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ. And maybe you, know, you don't even realize that when you, we were born, you were born in sin. And, and, and since the fall of Adam, all of us were born in that sin. And that sin has separated us from God. And that sin is deserving of eternal death. But God, but God demonstrated His love for you in this. While you were still in that sinful state, He sent Jesus to die in your place to make atonement for your sin. And He calls you to do two things. Repent, turn from yourself, and believe in the payment that He's made for you. I pray if that's you, you would do that. Maybe God's calling you to unite with this church. We have a member class that we would love to get you plugged into and and to help you understand what that means to be a member. Maybe you've never, maybe you know Christ and you say, I, I know Jesus is my Savior and Lord. And the, the Bible teaches us, if you, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. That's what the waters of baptism are about. It's a confession of your life that you died to self and you've been raised to new life in Christ. And maybe you've never been baptized. And you need to give that picture to the world around you. We'd love to talk with you about that. You know, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says it's by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's not of your own doing. Not a result of works. You can't boast or brag about those things. And it goes on. It says we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in those. So it's by grace that God saves. And He does it through faith. In only one person, Jesus Christ. And He does it for a purpose. So that you might look more like Christ and walk more like Christ in those good works that the world might see Him. If God's speaking to you this morning, I pray that you listen. You listen closely. You surrender to Him. Obey Him. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we come before you this morning and we give you thanks and praise for you are good. You are far better than we deserve. God, we thank you for the hope that we find in Jesus today. God, we ask that you use this time of response, God, for your will and your glory. God, we, we know that people oftentimes you know, need more than five or ten minutes at the close of a service. God, I pray you would remind them in their hearts today because we know that no one comes to you unless the Father draws them. But I pray they understand the invitation is always, always open. That God, you are calling people to respond all the time. And God, your word says today is the day of salvation. God, I pray that people would respond in obedience to you. In complete surrender to you. God, help us today. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Please sing with, with us as we have this time of response. We'll be waiting here at the front, Tom and I and Gary. And if you need to come pray with one of these or with me, I'm here. If you need to come use this altar to pray, please do that. You come.